0: real stories real stories real people
1: I just can't believe it it was one of the most exciting times of my life I just, I just can't believe that it happened to me me winning the lottery I just can't believe it real stories
0: real stories
2: real, real stories. people stories. Stories. winning the premiership of autumn Felt great holding the truth whoa, whoa.
0: Whoa. so happy when I was 15 and it was pretty scary at the time but you know looking back I, I think I do a lot
1: it's my
0: life. well hello and good afternoon and welcome to it's my life where we talk to local people and hear some of their incredible stories about their lives I'm Karenza and I'm joined today by my co-host Kim Hi, Corinza. It's good to be back in the studio again. Great to have you back, Kim. And today our very special local guest is Natalie, or Nat, Nat Porter, who has led quite a remarkable life. Nat is an Australian basketball player who first started playing the sport when she was just five years old, going on to play for the Australian national team and becoming an Olympic silver medalist. Here in Australia, Nat has played for several different top-level teams – including the Dandenong Rangers, the Bulleen Boomers, Tansville Fire and the Sydney Uni Flames, where she was the team captain and then the Canberra Capitals. Nat has also played her basketball overseas. In the year 2000, she was drafted by the Women's National Basketball Association in the UK by the New York Liberty. And later in her career, Nat played, and I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure, for the Italian team Lavazzi Parma. Not just contented with playing the sport in Australia and overseas at the highest level... Nat was also a member of the Opals, Australia's Olympic basketball team, where in 2004 she won a silver medal in Athens, representing her country. So here to share her story with us today, telling us how she became an Olympian and life after the Olympics, as well as some of her favourite songs, over the next hour is our very special guest, Nat. Welcome to the show, Nat. (laughs) Hello, ladies. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on here today.
1: Yeah, Nat, I'm just looking here, five. You started at the age of five. How mm. did you know that basketball was going to be your thing at that such an early age?
2: Um, didn't really know about basketball too much. Um, just one of the girls that lived down my street invited me to come and play at her local team. So, yes, yeah, so I thought, all right, well, I'm going to go do that. And, yeah, loved it from the very beginning. Um, but I was into a lot of sports. So um, it wasn't just necessarily basketball, but I did a little laughs, So I played footy. Uh, did a bit of softball as well. So, yeah, it was a good mix of sport, especially through primary school. But, um, yeah, wow. basketball.
1: So when, so when did you start, um, you know, committing yourself to basketball and, mm. and you know, that training regime and t- to get as good as you did?
2: I um, like probably seriously somewhere around probably year nine, year ten, I would say, um, when I was in about under-16s mm-hmm. um, and things start to get a little bit more serious with Uh, state teams and obviously junior national squads, um, the AIS, all those sorts of things. So once that stuff happens, it it goes from just playing (laughs) with your mates and having fun and being pretty good at something to then going, oh, all right, well, I've got a bit of a – goal here and a bit of a dream and there are some things I can do with sport that can take me places so
0: yeah Fabulous. so dreams dreams are interesting aren't they and when mm. Kim and I were talking last week we talked a lot about dreams too so when you were younger was it something did you dream I'm interested you know as this kid growing up you realize you you know your your friends are watching you thinking well maybe you know maybe I'm a better basketballer than those around me did you did you have some dreams when you were when you were a young kids thinking where you might take basketball or what you might become
2: yeah um like definitely watching the Olympics I mean Kids are so lucky now. They can watch every sport on <laughs> every channel through a smartphone. But, um, I, yeah, I remember watching that on TV and just, like, the passion and the, you know, competition and everything like that. And when they stood up on the dice and their national anthem played, like, I remember watching that. I don't know what age I was, but I just remember watching that and going, oh, that! I'd love to do that one day. That would be really cool. I'd love to play for Australia and, yeah, stand up on the dice and win a medal. So, yeah, that's sort of where it started. And then, um, I don't know, I just think, yeah, when – yeah just like looked ahead found it loads and loads of fun and as I said like got to that age where I thought oh there's pathways to some pretty cool opportunities and the thing I loved about basketball that probably separated other sports was that um you can play in pretty much every country so that to me was really appealing because um, I've always well I didn't know I loved travel but I started traveling from an early age so um yeah that was like okay cool I can go play in America you yeah, know I can play in Europe that'll be a pretty cool
0: place So just following on from that, so you were 15, I think, when you were offered a scholarship. So, you know, you've been playing what I'm imagining like rep, basketball, state, all of those things, suddenly a scholarship at the age of 15. And if I'm right, um, what what did you what did you have to kind of do to get the scholarship? What did it mean? Did you have to kind of live away from home when you got that scholarship or?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I was in year 10 um, when I moved up to Canberra. They actually wanted me to go, so I was bottom age under sixteen. So I was only thirteen, I think thirteen or fourteen, when the AIS scouts started to like, I guess, talk to my parents and look at me at games, um, and they wanted me to go up when I was in year nine. But my parents were like, "No, that's way too young," um, and so yeah, I just turned I just turned fifteen in the December, and I'd moved there in the January, um, and uh, yeah, it was such a it was a massive massive life change and. Probably the first time I realised that I'm a bit of a homebody and I miss my mum. And going from I was at a private school here in Melbourne, I went to Wesley, and um, when I went to Canberra, I went to Canberra High School. So (laughs) the contrast, um, yeah, was was huge, and I certainly found that quite difficult to fit into, I guess, mainstream high school. Um, And unfortunately, when I um, first got up there, we had an all Australian camp, and I landed on my knee really bad, and um, I had an injury, so I had to come home. I was there at AIS for maybe three or four months and I came home, had surgery and I just decided, that nah, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here in Melbourne. The opportunities were probably just as good as being there um, at the time. I preferred my school um, and I liked being with my mum. <laughs> yeah. It
1: would have been really hard to be away from your parents. Did they come yeah. and visit you on weekends or?
2: Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, my parents were separated at the time. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that worked out quite well because mum could come up, you know, one weekend and then yeah. dad maybe come up a couple of weeks later. mm mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't really there long enough. I just remember they sort of came, both came up to get me settled, and then, um, as I said, I, I came back home, you know, a few months in. So it was, but yeah, it's an interesting feeling.
0: It would have been because fifteen's yeah. really, really young to live away from home. But gee, it would yeah. have been um, a tough call for your parents to make too to to say, yeah, okay, I'm gonna trust, you know, send my 15 year old away in, you know, into another state in the nation's capital (laughs) to come play basketball and kind of put her in the hands of other people to look after. Yeah,
2: so bizarre. I I went on my first trip to America when I was 14 um, and that was with a Victorian team. And uh, I think the oldest player was maybe 33. So I was the youngest by far. The next one closest to me was 18. Um, And it was such a fun trip. Like we got up to a Vietnamese gym and I was only 14 years old. I can't believe my parents sent me away, like not sent me away, but let me go off to AIS. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I guess just that's they could see that I was driven and that's what I wanted to do. And um, I was pretty responsible, <laughs> I would say. I was pretty mature as well, just because I played with a lot of older girls. So mm. um, yeah, they, they obviously felt good good with the process.
0: I guess there's sacrifices that you make along the way, like you know. I'm not thinking about my kids growing up. You know, my you know my son's out you know skateboarding with his mates. You know, my daughter's picking clothes, hanging out with her mates down the beach. And things. Did you lose some of that by you know having to travel and go away and do things? Some of those other things that I guess you know non sporty people, mm. I guess like me, you know, might have taken for granted when we grew up.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. Like I had to sacrifice a lot of stuff. I didn't go to parties or anything like that because I would have always have practice on a Sunday morning. Um, especially like when I was in VCE, you know, they'd be starting to go out or I I don't know, but I I never felt like I really missed out because I I couldn't really care less about that stuff. Um, yeah, so I did, like there was maybe a few parties I was a bit upset that I couldn't go to, or I could only go for half the time. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It's just, I think when you love something so much and you're so focused on doing what you want to do with it, that stuff doesn't even really... Register. So.
0: Yeah, so you are on Radio Caram today, this, this afternoon, listening to It's My Life, where um, I'm with my co-host Kim Carenza, um, and we're chatting to Nat Porter about, I guess, her life and how she became an Olympic uh, silver medalist. It's a very interesting story, and we've asked Nat to pick four songs, and now you've chosen. Tell us a bit about. Um, Underwater uh, is it Rufus DeSol? Tell yeah, us yeah, about why, why this why this song is really important or special. Uh, to you. So
2: they're definitely my f- most favourite Australian band. Um, they've got they used to be called Rufus and now they're Rufus DeSol, But they um, yeah they've just like some three local boys from WA. Um, they've only been on the scene not very long and they've gone you know, over to America and pretty much blown up. So um, I just really like the song. I like the lyrics. Um,
0: yeah, it's cool, beautiful. Well, let's have a listen to Underwater, Rufus DeSol.
1: Oi, oi, oi. 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 IGA Oi. It's Oi. shopping nights Oi. IGA Oi. Where the price Oi. is right Oi. Seaford Oi. North IGA Oi. For your groceries and liquor Oi. IGA
2: Oi. Express Oi. There's nothing Oi. quicker
0: Well, you are listening to Radio Karim and It's My Life. I'm Karenza. I'm joined by my co-host Kim, and together we're talking to Nat Porter, um, an Australian Olympian, silver medalist winner as well. So, um, welcome back, everybody. So, uh, we've talked a little about your, I guess, childhood and some of those pressures and what it's like, I guess, to be a kid that gets discovered and you know as a talent and as a sports talent. And incredibly, at the age of sixteen is when I guess you. Is it, is it professional your first professional team where you joined the Dandenong Rangers um a team in Australia's WNBL can you tell us a bit about that you know what did mm. it mean that did you sign on how does that work
2: yeah so um so when I've when I came back after my injury from the AIS um and I decided to stay so Dandenong recruited me I guess you would put it that way um I, I, I think I signed a contract but um, I can't Honestly, I can't remember. Um, I remember I, I played there for three or four seasons and I remember signing a contract with them. It was for $2,000, which I thought was ace because I was 16 <laughs> years 16, old. that's a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, that it's was too. pretty good. <laughs> Two grand. That was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, so no, I just uh, started there and, yeah, it was full on. We had... Practice. We went. I went from training, you know, quite a lot to full on practice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday nights. So I was on my L's, and um, one of the older players used to let me drive on my L plates home from Danny Dandenong. <laughs> I lived in Burwood, um, so that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I was surrounded by a lot of veterans on that team. Um, looked up to a lot of those players. Um, had one import, Reggie she was really really cool um, loved watching her play and she was a great teammate so I, I learned a lot in my you know very first season um, playing WNBL from those players and I sort of look back now and go well I actually played a lot um, generally if you're 16 years old you're sitting on the bench but um, I started quite a lot of games so yeah it was interesting an interesting place to start my career and a good place to start my career back here in, in Melbourne
1: I know the Dandenong Rangers home base down in Stud Road there in Dandenong. I've been down there a little bit in my time just to watch, obviously. Um, what was it like playing, you know, as a local kid... Um, for the uh, national team at Dandenong, did you have a lot of friends that came and watched you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they would make banners and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember my first road trip was to Perth and we play, we were at ABC. The ABC used to televise the one game um, on a Saturday at 3pm, I think it was, and that was our game. And we were playing against Michelle Timms. I can remember how nervous I was playing at Perry Lake Stadium um, just because she was like one of my heroes when I like, grew up playing at Nunawadding. And... Um, yeah, I remember mum film mum put the video cassette in <laughs> the VCR and film the yeah, take the game and you know how I said, "Oh, I'll listen to this back." I don't even think I watched that game because I was probably too embarrassed to watch myself. But um yeah, it was it was cool and we always had local support and um having played in like quite a few different areas and places, it's nice because, you know, you always have friends or family that that can come and support you and cheer you on, so
0: that was good so did you still stay at school when you were playing professionally or did you have to kind of quit school or leave school or? Uh, no no
2: I still still stayed at school um, wow I quite I quite like studying like it, I was never going to be you know an a+ student but I certainly like to apply myself and um, I think I just my parents drilled into me that I always had to have a backup plan you know couldn't rely on basketball and um, basketball is probably not going to ever make you enough money to be able to support you full-time so um, I just invested academically enough probably for what I had to do but the school was really good especially as I said to you like I traveled to America like year 10 year 11 year 12 um, and I remember having to sit one of my VCE exams on the plane that was pretty interesting yeah yeah Um, and then another one like in a hotel room at like 3am in the morning because you had to sit at the same time as here uh, so, yeah, the school was really, really good. They certainly helped me juggle yeah, everything that supportive. I needed to. Yeah. yeah, very very
0: supportive. And yeah. you, stayed, you stayed there for three seasons at um, mm. the Dandenong Rangers and then you left and you went to yeah. Townsville Fire. Uh, you actually became their captain. So Townsville, mm. top end. So you yep. know, you're <laughs> a long way from home now, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I am. And um, my assistant coach at Dandenong actually took the head coaching job up in Townsville. Um, so they were a new team. It was their first time in the league. Um, so, yeah, so he recruited a number of players and, I happened to be one of them. And I thought, all right, well, again, um, I like to travel, like to try new things. Um, So, yeah, so I moved up there. It was a really cool experience. Um, Townsville's a a really nice place to live, good people. And our home crowds were so different to what we would have here in Melbourne. You know, we'd we'd have sellout stadiums. They put on a show. Um, It was a lot of fun, fun playing in Townsville. I, I, I really enjoyed it.
1: Great. So so that year you were named, now beg my pardon if I'm getting this wrong as well, the Robin Ma Defensive Player of the Year and a member of the WNBL All-Star Five. That's pretty amazing. Uh, what do you think it was that saw you achieve those accolades? Um... The defensive one, I was, well,
2: I'd sort of focused, I never was, I was a good defender, um, like I was pretty athletic and could read the game quite well, but I I used to get into foul trouble, like I remember my my coaches would always be like, have foul discipline, foul discipline, Um, and I remember once that season that I won that um, defensive award, I just focused on, right, I'm going to become like a defensive stopper, I think I need to add that. Um, element to my game especially if I want to make um, the Olympic team so um, I just went out there and just you know focused on that being one of my goals rather than just trying to score as many points as I possibly could and and then the all-star five um, yeah again like it's you know you're only as good as the team around you so they certainly helped me achieve the things that I wanted to Um, I was 23 at the time I know we're going to speak about the Olympics in a little bit but um, yeah I I started probably starting to hit my straps um, in yeah. my early 20s. Um, coming out as a teenager um, into my early 20s, you know, you, you don't have consistency, I think, in terms of performance. You haven't found that about yourself, especially mm. just in life in general, right? You're yeah, here, yeah, there absolutely. and everywhere, just trying to sort yourself out. So um, as an athlete, I think when I, that season, when I won those awards, I probably, you know, something had probably kicked in and sunk, sunk in and I just was a consistent performer, um, which probably helped me achieve those awards.
0: So your next club was the um, Sydney Uni Flames. Um, and, again, you won the Players Award. And the, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, and this is a quote here, described you as one of the team's stars. And, again, so that drive is really, really strong in you. So, you know, you're starting to really be at the top of your game at, mm. at this point in your life. So you're pretty, still pretty young in your 20s.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I moved to Sydney, it was a couple of years, um, I think 25, 26 I was, Um, And again, I always, like, look back and go, 26, I got it. Like, I sort of understood what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. um, And playing for Sydney gave me that opportunity. Um, Not just on the basketball court, but I got to study as well. Um, I started doing some things in terms of, like, career that I liked and enjoyed. Um, So I think, again, like, just all those aspects sort of started to fall into place. Um, And when you're happy outside, you're also, like, probably a better competitor on the court as well. So...
0: That's Um, true, isn't it? I think that's really true in life, isn't it? If you've got all those pieces lined up, that sort of sense of contentment in your life, you're able to achieve your potential,
1: aren't you, a lot more? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But with all the highs, obviously there come some lows in life and in sport. Uh, in the season's grand final, you scored 15 points against the Canberra Capitals, but your team still lost. Um, mm. What was the moment? What was this moment like for you? How, how, <laughs> how, how can you describe? You know, yeah, losing, losing, to- losing yeah. is horrible.
2: Um, yeah, it is definitely when you have put so much blood, sweat, and tears, and you know, over a long period of time. Especially, you know, not just that season, but you sort of build, build, build on previous seasons with the same te- teammates and cohorts. Um, yeah, it was difficult. Uh, (laughs) I can't say anything else really. It's horrible losing. And, um, unfortunately I never got to win a WNBL, um, championship and my brothers give me plenty of shit about that. That's for sure. (laughs) They always, they they just call me second place, but, um, that's all right. Second place is better than third. So, um, yeah, no, no, it's all good.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, look, we're going to play, sticking with some of your favourite music again now. So you've ne- your next track mm. you've chosen is Never Enough by Boo Seeker. Yes. Tell us a bit about this, this track.
2: Um, so, again, another Aussie band. Um, and I probably um, aligned with them more so in COVID, like last year. Um, had a lot of time on my hands and got myself um, into more music and more Australian music. And they were really coming out with some pretty big tracks on Triple J. Uh, and I was lucky enough to go and see them um, at the ESPY, in between probably lockdown 4.0 and 5.0. I can't remember. It was this year it was and it was awesome. It was so much fun. Um, and, yeah, I just uh, just really like this song. I like the beat, like the tune, like his voice.
0: It's cool. All right, let's have a listen. This is Never Enough uh, by Seeker.
1: Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go Karam.
0: Welcome back, and you are listening to It's My Life here on Radio Karim. I'm Kerenza. I'm joined by Kim today, and we are chatting to Nat Porter about her fascinating life and basketball career, and uh, we're going to talk next about living and playing overseas as well. So um, at just the age of 19, you were drafted in the fourth round of the WNBA draft. Um, you were drafted by the New York Liberty as an American professional... Uh, an American professional basketball team based in Brooklyn in New York City, which plays in the WNBA. God, this is such a long question. Look what I've written here. So you basically got drafted to play in the WNBA. Yep. Yeah. So I did. um and so you left Australia and <laughs> what again was it yeah, you're nineteen years of age, you know, that's it's a really big deal, isn't it? To kind of I reckon yeah. go overseas and pack your bags and say, Okay, I'm gonna go and yeah. we scare. Oh, uh, it
2: was weird. So whenever I talk about this experience, it was just like a mind-blowing experience, this one. It came out of nowhere. I, it's not like it was ever even on my radar to ever play in the WNBA. Um, and I got an agent. I just moved out. I went, pr- practically, my mum says, like, I turned 18 and then, bang, I was out. Oh, she never saw me for about 10 years. And so I'd moved out of home and, um, yeah, just I got an agent. And I just remember taking a call and he was like, oh, you and Jess Bibby, and she was my teammate in Dan Long, and she was one of my best mates at the time. You and Jess are um, off to Chicago. In three days, and I was like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah." He's like, "You're off to Chicago. We've got your flights and everything, and you're going for you're going over there for the draft camp." I was like, "What? What even is this?" And like, there was obviously some. Again, Michelle Timms and Michelle Brogan. Like, there were some players over there that were already um, playing for Phoenix. And I was like, all right, cool. So we jumped on this plane, me and Jess, and flew all the way from Melbourne to Chicago for th- for three day, for a three-day camp. And we arrived in the airport. We had our board shorts on. we are. Yeah, we had our boardies on <laughs> and probably sing- singlets and, and probably thongs <laughs> on. And, it, we, walked, and then we walked out of the terminal and it was snowing. Because the thing was, it snowing? Wow. And it's snowing. So we just ran back inside. We put on all our clothes. We'd not packed for winter. I don't even know what we packed for. I actually don't. It was such a whirlwind. I really can't tell you what the lead up was. So we got there. We went to this draft camp. There was like a hundred, there was a hundred athletes there. I was so nervous and petrified. I remember we stayed at this beautiful five-star hotel. I got in the lift and like the girls, there was like six foot seven, six foot eight. Like this African-American, like just, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so nerve wracking. So I reckon it took me the first day and a half to actually just warm up and start to do anything that looked any good I think I was so horrible up until that point and then on the last day there was myself and Jess and there was another girl Katrina Hibbert who had been playing over that had been at college basketball in Louisiana um, and we happened to get on the same team and then we just killed it it was good because we were passing to each other the Americans they just like hog the ball and um, so I think that that scrimmage saved us um, so we put, got back on the plane flew back to Melbourne again phone rings in the middle of the night like didn't even know when the draft was happening. And it's my agent. Yep, yeah, uh, Nat, you've been drafted. You're going to New York. And I
0: was like, what? You've been drafted. You're going to New <laughs> that York. That's amazing. Like, New what? York of all places. Yeah, yeah. Did you ask this time what the weather was? No, no. no I, can't,
2: I, can't, I don't even know. I was just like freaking out probably. And Jess got drafted there as well. She went there. I went fourth round, I think. She went there round. And um, anyway, we both had to put in our visas at the same time. Hers got hers. Went through pretty quickly. Mine was delayed, so she had got her over there a couple of weeks before me, which I found pretty difficult because I came into training camp like midway through. So, again, I, like picked up, chauffeured in a limousine to a hotel in New York, in, arriving in the in the middle of the night, like trying to find Jess. Well, what am I? Mi- no one's there to meet you or greet you. Like she's like, "Yeah, this is where we live." We're like well, I live in a hotel in the middle of Manhattan. I go, what about food? She you just order room service uh-huh.
0: and you get like 100, okay. you get 100 you, US a day. <laughs> you were describing every 19-year-old child's dream, aren't you? I mean, you know, every 19-year-old teenager. Well, that's just that's just a dream, isn't it? Well, in Yeah, America, but it was free. In a hotel. I, yeah,
2: it just wasn't prepared. And then so next morning she's waking me up and I've got jet lag. She's like, right, we're off to practice. We've got to catch the subway. We've got to catch a bus. We're out, yeah, to Brooklyn, I, uh, somewhere warehouse rock up for training and then, yeah, we started training camp. So, yeah, it was so daunting. It was absolutely horrible, <laughs> horrifying experience. Is it different?
0: Are the fans different? Is the game yeah. different?
2: Yeah, it's so, so different. It's really like I think Australians do so well, you know, we're such a small nation but when we go and compete overseas like we have such good like collaboration teamwork hustle whereas the americans are very much like dog eat dog like it's me and it's me and myself sort of thing they got that attitude so that was really difficult to get into especially when you're only like a little kid um to to sort out but yeah um wmba's interesting one um because the, the clubs aren't affiliated with the NBA team, so they're sort of on their own standalone program. So you're playing much smaller gyms. They do struggle. Um, like They've done a lot of work over the past 30 years to um, really bring in like, a lot more spectators and membership, and they've done a pretty good job. But when I was back playing, the crowds were pretty small. Um, I wouldn't, you wouldn't say it was the best league in the world.
1: Mm. New York's one of my favorite cities. It's just amazing. Uh did you continue to mm. live in a hotel or did you get your own place? Yeah, eventually?
2: no, 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 no. Just stayed in the hotel whilst wow. I was there. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But I've I've been back um, a fair few times since. So it's nice to yeah, be prepared. <laughs> and set out what you want to want to do but again it's like that thing you know you talk to people and people like oh you've been to such and such and you've been here and you've been there and you've been all over the world but really we've seen the inside of basketball stadiums the inside of buses and the rest of the time you're sleeping eating recovery massage you're not really getting out and sightseeing or enjoying the things that 19 year olds probably want to do um, at that time so it's an interesting experience
1: well, talking about, you know, travelling and going to all these amazing places, in 2008 you signed a contract to play in Italy with uh, Levazzini. Have I got it right? <laughs> no, because no, I got Levezzini. it wrong, Levezzini. didn't I'm I'm I? I, right. I think I you, the coffee, I coffee you, brand. It was. Uh, Levazzini, I remember <laughs> yeah. you saying. So, Levezini Parma, yeah. uh, during the winter season. Why Italy? I mean, mm. what was it like?
2: Um, so, I'd sort of uh, – I, ha- I wouldn't say I had to stay in Australia to play, but – um, I wasn't you know, a starter in the Opals team, so I wanted to play in Australia to really, I guess, solidify my spot on the Opals roster, try and make Olympic teams. Um, I knew that there was more money to be made in Europe, but I never wanted basketball to be just that, just mm. just chasing money. Um, but a lot of my teammates had played in Europe and had good experiences, but also quite a lot of athletes had gone over there and had not so great experiences as well. So um, again, I think I was just at the right age. Um, I was trying to make the Beijing Olympics at the time when I signed my contract um and yeah i just took a really great deal um in a really cool town out of all the probably the european countries that i played in i have really always liked italy i like the food so it just felt right um i got a pretty amazing contract as well so yeah so um i'm, I'm glad that i did it mm. um but it came off the back of yeah beijing which we'll probably talk yeah, about we'll, in a little we'll bit well. yeah, we'll
1: Carenza and i've actually traveled to italy together a fair bit mm. um not, did you speak the language I mean yeah. <laughs> it, it's really hard to get around Italy if you don't know Italian
2: it is and we and Palmer is up in northern Italy so yeah. they're they're really like a bit, they're a bit snobbish when it comes to the language um, no I didn't speak any Italian at all uh, luckily enough most of the girls on my team spoke English um, our the head coach spoke English no English at all, oh, he loved to just yell in Italian, so I was kind of <laughs> glad, <laughs> kind of glad that I had no idea what he was saying, um, and kind of glad he had no idea what I was saying yeah. to him either, um, our assistant coach did all the translating, so um, yeah, I've played in Asia and all those sort of places as well, it's sort of like bang 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 bang, they speak in their la- native language, and then the assistant will come in or the translator will come in and give you the bits and bobs that you needed to,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you, look I mean you pick up basketball terminology pretty quickly, um, quite a lot of it's universal anyway in the language, so Um, Yeah, but it was fun. I carry my again. We didn't have really smartphones back then, so just carry my little you know language book around and just try and
0: it would be so different now. Where you just put on Google Translate. What is he saying? Oh yeah, no, okay. Exactly. exactly. Got that, boss.
2: (laughs) But no, I liked it. And Palma was an awesome town to play in. Um, It was tiny little community, but yeah, as I said, the the food, the restaurants, and the hospitality was lovely. So, if you gave it a go, they were pretty good.
1: yeah. And the passion—they're very passionate They're very, people. Very so, passionate. how were they? Were they passionate about basketball as well? Yeah, they
2: were. Yeah. They were. It's interesting setup, actually, over there. Um, like we didn't have amazing crowd in Palmer. We didn't get a lot of crowds, um, but the team had lots of money because um, companies or big organisations can sort of nominate where their taxes go, and they can um, nominate to have that go to a sporting association or organisation. So that's why they were able to attract um, such great players. But we played in the Euro League. Um, which was really cool. So we would play Sundays, we would play in the Italian League and then, then we would travel, get on a, a plane or a bus on the Monday and play Wednesday nights in the Euro League. So that was cool. Oh, we would play cool. Russia, yeah. Latvia, Slovenia, all over the place. So, yeah, it was a unique experience.
0: Amazing. So we're going to definitely start talking about um, the Opals and the Olympics after our next track. But, you know, yes. I'm interested because you kept – each time you would go overseas, you'd come back to Australia mm, too. Like, mm. there's was there a pool? Was there something about playing at home that was – different or special or was it just that you went where the opportunities were in your career? Um,
2: like obviously reflecting back now on my life, I think it's just a matter of timing really to be honest. I think just things that fell into place at different times meant that I just spent time where I did. Um you know, again, if we would talk about Olympics. If I, I think if I had made the Beijing team, then I probably would have gone off and played in Europe for a little bit, a little while longer. But because I didn't make that team, my, my whole circumstances changed. So coming back to Australia was probably more about, well, what's next? What's what? What am I going to do with my career next? So.
0: So you are listening uh, to It's My Life on Radio. Karen Karenza joined by my co-host Kim. And we're chatting today to Nat Porter, an Australian basketball legend. Uh, and coming up um, after this, this next break, we will start to talk a bit about the Olympics and what it means, I guess, to be an opal. But we are also playing some of your favourite tracks and... You've chosen Lionel Richie. Um, tell us a bit about Lionel.
2: It's a bit different from the last it's two It's very songs, different but, um, from the last two. So this is, uh, whenever we are at parties, you always got to play, like, what was your pump-up song, right? And this was the song I used to listen to before games. Uh, there's a couple of lines in the song that just make me feel like I'm back out on the basketball court. But, um, yeah, this was my pump-up song before, before, before a big game.
0: All right, let's have a listen to Lionel Richie's All Night Long on Radio Karen.
1: Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy.
0: And you are listening to Radio Karam. It's my life. I'm Karen, and I'm joined by Kim, and today we are chatting to Nat Porter about her incredible life, and we're now going to really chat about the, um, I guess, the national team being an Opal and winning silver at the um, Olympics. So you first played for Australia as a member of the Australian junior team. Nat played for the team in 1996 and 1997 and you became a member of the senior national team by 2001 when you completed a tour of China with the team. So there you go. you know, I'm interested, first of all, to to sort of talk about being a junior. So, you know, how old are you as a junior when you got picked and what did it feel like to be picked as a junior to kind of represent, you know, Australia, your country?
2: I think it was under 17s, but in saying that, I think I was 14 or 15. It was around that same time that I was at the AIS. Um, Yeah, again, it was like just a pathway process sort of thing. Um, Five-day training camp, two, three-hour sessions a day, recovery in between, food, sleep all that sort of stuff. Um, funny story, at the head coach, Ray Tomlinson, was on the plane with us. He stood up, knocked his head on. Remember how they used to have those TVs that didn't go up Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's because he's like six foot eight. He oh. stood up, knocked himself out about to get the paramedics on the plane. And we were all really happy because he wasn't <laughs> going to be there for the first day of practice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a rest? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we still had to train, but we're like, oh, thank goodness he's not there. Um, so, yeah, so that was an interesting experience. But um then there was, under, I think, under-19s as well um, that went through the process with them again. But I was pretty young when I got put on the, the senior squad. Um, Tom Mar was the coach for Sydney, and I had done a training camp prior in the lead-up to Sydney as well, so that was cool.
1: Yeah, so in 2002, as a member of the, that senior national team, mm. you had the opportunity to tour Europe. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, um, I remember we went to France and Spain, and it was really, really hot. Um, Did you take your board
0: shorts that time? Yeah, (laughs) definitely wore my board
2: shorts. Um, And I remember just, I guess, just trying to navigate the culture, um, work out the culture because I was really, I was always one of the youngest on the squad, especially at that time. Um, So just, I guess, the do's and don'ts. You know, when you're in your own age group, you be your own person. But, um, yeah, being on a squad or a team with players that you've looked up to as a little kid is a really weird, daunting experience very exciting but it's just i guess mimicking their behavior um and that's what the opals have always been known for is that just um like relentless persistent culture um staying together just it's a really special thing that they created um back in the 90s and so it was just yeah trying to i guess form how that fits Mm. within your own values system um so yeah, so I learned a lot. I probably didn't play very much when I went to Europe, but it was such a wonderful experience just to room with those girls, train with those girls, and yeah, you
0: know, get get into it. So you've represented Australia numerous, numerous times, you mm. know, including at the Olympics. I'm interested. What's the prep? What what is it that you have to do to kind of you know, th- what is is it like a national match is coming to get called up? How does mm. how does any of that work?
2: So with basketball, it's generally like they usually pull in like a really big squad say maybe 40 girls um and then they just dwindle it down depending on what you're preparing for so if it's world championships which happens every um two years or whether it's the olympics or commonwealth games which sort of got added later as well um so it generally was a four or five day training camp and then yeah by the end of it they'd cut and cull and cut and cull and then bang you'd get a phone call or they would tell you there at the end of the training camp yeah you've made it made the team to travel or Yeah, it's a long process. It's a
0: four-year process, basically. Mm. Um, And lots of training, lots of extra work, lots of harder commitment. I mean, I think isn't isn't the... Pinnacle dream, maybe I'm Mm -hmm. wrong, but for Mm -hmm. every sports person, isn't the pinnacle the Olympics? Yeah. Isn't that the thing that you want, the Holy Grail?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, representing your country at the Olympics is definitely the number one thing if you're an Olympic sport. So um, it is a long process, though. You know, you sort of plan it. um, I remember after Athens, my ankles, I needed to have them reconstructed. So I sort of tried to plan it within the four years. So you still have time to come back and then prepare for the next Olympic game. So. Um, Yeah, lots of planning goes into it. Mm. Mm.
1: So it's 2004 and the Olympics are headed for for Athens in Greece, um, the birthplace of the Olympics, obviously. Uh, uh, Winning the – you won your first seven games uh, all by double digits um, to set up the rematch of the 2000 Olympic uh, gold (laughs) medal match against the US. Yes. Uh, You played a tough match uh, but the United States outlasted you guys. And uh, in the fourth quarter, it was uh, 74-63, giving the Opals their second straight Olympic silver medal. Can you tell us a little bit about that tournament?
2: Yeah. um, Again, one of those things, you know, when I spoke about the WNBA, how it was just sort of brought on quickly, bang, 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 and a bit of a whirlwind. Same with the Olympics. Um, It went so fast, like on reflection. It felt like it was probably three days when we spent two and a half weeks in the village. Um, and prior to that, we travelled for six weeks as a group. So I was away for probably about ten weeks, um, travelling and preparing and doing what we had to do. The Olympic experience was incredible, um, especially being in Greece, Um we would play every second day so we were scheduled every second day we would train the day prior at the same time that we would play so um, our first game happened to be at 8am against Nigeria Um, the opening ceremony was the night before so we obviously couldn't go to the opening ceremony we just stayed in the village and watched on the big screen which was a bit of a bummer but understandable Um, and then you know like then the following two days later we had a game at 10pm at night so it was really all over the place but it did allow us to be able to go out um, and look at the city and go and watch other events
1: so we got to go and watch the swimming and the tennis and the beach volleyball. So that was really nice as well. Um, so what was it like to, to live in the Olympic Village? I mean, that, that would just be amazing. Yeah,
2: um, it's yeah, it's cool. We just pretty much sat in the dining hall <laughs> most of the time, just people watching. Yeah, All the different athletes come and go and, you know, all the different body shapes yeah. and sizes. And um, there was a McDonald's inside the dining hall. You're
1: kidding. Yeah, for yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, for the, <laughs> for the Olympics. Um,
2: yeah so there was a big Macca's in there. Um, which we we set ourselves the challenge not to eat any until we finished that gold medal game um but yeah, it was just I guess rubbing shoulders with yeah lots of different people from around different countries it was it was fun, but it was very, very hot. And it's just like living in a suburb, you'd have buses to get around and The traffic was mayhem in Greece, so you'd be on the Mm. bus for generally an hour going out to venues.
0: Did you feel the pressure? Was it like living in like a a pressure corner and the pressure's on, you know, you're going through it, you're getting up and you're building to this final? What's that Um, like? It's obviously the the psychological mm, component mm. as as well as the kind of physical, you know, fitness is a major part, isn't it, of any sport?
2: It is, definitely. I mean... In terms of, like, mental preparation and mental toughness and mental training, we did a lot of that anyway prior. So um, I would say that there's probably more of an emphasis on it now than there was back then, but certainly it was becoming a part of, um, I guess, mainstream to start doing that brain training, you would call it. Um, so I didn't I, – uh, being in the village, you don't feel pressured. Um, any any difference playing in the grand final here, you still ha- carry mm. the same nerves – You know, excitement, Mm. animosity, all that sort of stuff. But um, probably the only game, I probably felt more nervous playing against Greece because we played Greece in a round game um, and they had the full stadium. Oh, yeah, home crowd. That was really nerve-wracking because we were definitely better than them when we should have. But just having that, you know, crowd experience, that was probably pretty nerve-wracking. But once we were through to the gold medal game, I don't know, it didn't feel like a lot of pressure because you knew that you'd secured a medal. That's right.
0: Yeah, um, that pressure's off, isn't it? You can go yeah. and enjoy that game. doesn't yeah. matter, does it? Gold, silver. Well, that's you, you right. You've got a medal, a, an awesome medal. And
2: it was a really euphoric feeling because, you you know, the buzzer had gone and we'd lost the game. So you, you were really disappointed for five seconds, like you would be in any defeat in a grand final. And then five seconds later, we all look at each other and we're like, we won a silver medal. Like it's, it's a, you, Never it anywhere else. Do you play a game of sport where you lose and then but win at the same time? Right, it's yeah. a really bizarre feeling. So, um, yeah, it was it was cool, incredible wow.
0: feeling. So that gold medal. So that you stand up on what? How do you pronounce it? The Dias, Dias, And they put it around your neck. What's What's yeah. that moment like?
2: Um. Yeah. Incredible. Like everything you dream of, everything you think it would be. Um. Yeah. It was
0: good. It was fun. What was the emotion? Tears? Adrenaline? Nah, just adrenaline.
2: Yeah, I think just adrenaline. Is this really happening? As I said, it just went really, really quickly. Super quick. Like I can't, yeah. You've got to stop yourself. Yeah, and it's over and done with. So.
0: And did you stay for the closing ceremony at the end or did, did you guys have to fly out after, after, you, after um, the final game? No,
2: no, no. We got to stay, um, which was good. So we had a few days just to relax and let our hair down, have a bit of a party go to the closing ceremony and then um, probably not a lot of people know but with the Olympic team, you have to um, fly. Well, we all flew home together, most of us, and so you wouldn't know the plans and especially like at that time in terms of security, we didn't know when we were leaving. We just got woken up and we just knew we had to pack our bags um, and in the middle of the night, bang, there's like knock on our doors, all right, let's go get in the bus and we all flew, flew home on a Qantas jet together and that was a lot of fun. Incredible. Wow. Yeah, is it cool. true
1: what they say about, you know, the Olympic village and the parties that go on after the Olympics? Mate, <laughs> 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 right, the parties start
2: after day one, seriously. Okay. Like if your if you're, if your event is on day one, then um, I remember like after the swimming finished and we're like, what's that noise? And then all the swimmers are just dragging their eskies into the village <laughs> with all their beers and we're like
1: yeah. Swimming yeah, no, team, no, no. it's always a swimming team
0: Yeah, and good parties too,
2: lots of <laughs> sponsored sponsored events, it's fun
0: So you are listening to Radio Cam, I'm Karenza, my co-host Kim And we're talking to Nat Porter about her incredible experiences as a silver medalist And her time at the Athens Olympics Hi, it's Sonia Kilkenny and I'm pleased to be here on Radio Caram. And you are uh, listening to Radio Caram where we are chatting to Nat Porter. So, I'm interested now in um, life outside of the Olympics. So, you know, you've you've got to that stage, the, the highest pinnacle and I guess, you know, we're keen to understand really what happens or what comes next.
1: Yeah, so how did your basketball career, professional basketball career, come to an end?
2: Uh, so, when I speak about Beijing, so... Uh, wanted to make that team and then I didn't make that team so everything kind of changed so we were talking about like you come and go you go play overseas come back well I'd signed that contract to play in Italy I guess off the back of coming from Beijing Olympics and I didn't so that was bizarre Um, and then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after that point you know at at some point you're going to transition out of playing Um, so I came back um and stay with Sydney and then at the same time i just finished my master's um I'd been working and then I was thinking about all right well what's next I can either continue to play and try and make the London Olympics but then I went to a training camp for that and just my heart wasn't in it I just knew it was time to try and get my teeth sunk into something else
0: that's an interesting time in your life isn't it when you you know you've done something you're so passionate about it and then you realize do I let go of it was that easy Mm. was that hard
2: Uh, It was because I had something else to get into. I think um, for a lot of athletes, they don't. They're sort of either forced into retirement through injury or um, just not in terms of performance. So for me, it was okay. It was a really smooth transition because I did have something else to go straight into. Um, So I didn't really feel that as much.
1: So you you mentioned you Mm. had just completed a master's. Can I ask what what that was uh, in and also uh, what you're doing now? Mm. So I did my
2: Master of Business uh, majored in marketing at the University of Sydney. So Mm -hmm. that was really cool. That was a good perk, I guess, of playing at Sydney Um, because, again, it wasn't a massive contract, but I did get to study for free, so that was good. Um, And so at that same time, um, I started my own business. The reason I started my own business was because I was like – I had all these different incomes while well, I was coaching and I was working part-time. And so my accountant basically just said, like, you should probably become <laughs> self-employed um, for tax reasons. So mm-hmm. I did. So that's really the reason that I started um, Empire. Uh, and then from there, um, I just started doing some work experience with one of our team sponsors, which was in travel. Mm-hmm. Again, like something else that I was passionate about. And, yeah, things, again, just fell into place. Um, I happened to do – organize a basketball tour for them to America – uh, and so, yeah, so then I just started my own travel company. Again, just as worked do. out right. Yeah, <laughs> As you do. Yeah. And then COVID <laughs> sucked that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, COVID's been challenging, hasn't it? So... What What is it that, you know, I guess is in the next, you know, transition in your life, the next next part of your future, what is it that you've got going on and doing? Is basketball still part of your life or?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball is definitely part of my life. I don't know. You tell me what's the next part of my life. If you can give me that answer, that'd be really helpful. Crystal um, ball time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, no, no, no. I still coach. I still coach at Frankston. Um, coach the rep girls there. And I do lots of individuals and training and bits and pieces. So I think basketball will always be a part of my life. Definitely. I don't, it will never not be. Um, yeah I don't know I'm not sure we'll see
0: so just finally for me looking back I suppose and you know if there are other young athletes listening who are thinking you know the Olympics is my dream the same as it was when you were that young girl growing up what advice would you give you know having gone down this path been on this journey Mm. what would you share with other people
2: uh well we spoke about sacrifice like I think especially young athletes these days I don't really think that they get that I mean, you'll get uh, like a diamond that will come across and just be like, bang, like they have it. You can tell that they have it. But there's hundreds and hundreds of Olympians that aren't naturally talented. that have just worked really, really hard to get there. So I think that, you know, if you have any type of goal or focus, if you, you've got to make the commitment. You've got to cut things out and really just, yeah, go for it. And, you know, back yourself. You're going to have ups and downs and that's okay. You know, shit happens. But, yeah, you've just got to dig deep and keep going.
0: That's good advice. And Kim, anything that you'd like to ask um, Nat as we kind of finish our conversation today?
1: No, but Nat, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Good luck with everything you do in the future. I'm sure you'll do really well. And... um, Yeah, it's just been a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So you have been listening to It's My Life on Radio, Karen, where we've been talking today to Nat Porter about her amazing career in sport and her career as a basketball player playing at the highest levels here in Australia, the USA and Italy, as well as representing Australia as a member of the national team culminating in a silver medal at the Athens 2004 Olympic Games. It's been an incredible journey um, and one that's clearly still got a very long way to go, Nat. So uh, we wish you all the very best in, in everything else that you do. So join us next week when we talk to another incredible local resident, James. Um, also known as Hammer, and his inspirational work at Hard Cuddles. The Hard Cuddles team harnesses their lived experience and personal growth to provide workshops, presentations and keynote speaking designed to navigate the intricacies of mental health, emotional well-being, self-worth and leadership. It's going to be a great conversation, but thank you for joining us on It's My Life and we look forward to seeing you guys again next week.